Yo, Chuck, run a power move on him. something to you to give you a true knowledge of yourself and life so that the same glory and success attained by other men who understand themselves may be yours. Man in the full knowledge of himself is a superb and supreme creature of creation. When man becomes possessor of the knowledge of himself, he becomes master of his environment, the captain of his own ship, the director of his own destiny, the accomplisher of his own ends. Peace, peace. What's up? This is the Brooklyn Combine. We're at the Brooklyn Combine. And who's here? Uh, Barnabas or Barn <laughs> Phil <laughs> Kenneth Montgomery, Phil's guardian. <laughs> I'm Keith White, and we also have special guests. Uh, of a guardianship <laughs> responsibility. Welcome to uh, welcome to the podcast. We um. You know, I had a good time listening to last episode with Janelle Shabazz. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was a powerful conversation. Yeah, a lot of people appreciated that. Mm-hmm. They, the common theme was that uh, they, you know, Jamel doesn't, he's just a gracious gentleman, but people don't really get to hear him speak, speak a lot. And, and a lot of people were really um, moved by getting to know him as a person I guess it it helped him understand why he does what he does and, and, and the images that he comes up with you know so it, I, I really I don't listen to any of them because um, we're there and we're doing them but I actually listen to that one yeah, mm. yeah nah I mean Jamel has a special gift man of like yeah. making people feel a certain level of comfort Mm-hmm. That you know, so when he walks up to you on the street, you immediately feel like you have an ally who's mm-hmm. trying to tell your story, definitely, right, right, right. as opposed to you know, as opposed to an enemy mm-hmm. trying to trying to steal you or narrative. someone pretend, pretending to be something that they're right. not. And it's interesting. I've seen like documentaries on um, on him, and you know, he definitely seems to be very, very like much into and captivated by the subject. You mm-hmm. know. Um, which I know, you know, me, you know, the little photography that I do that I try to learn from you guys, um, you know, I know that's like one of the most intimidating processes of trying to like see somebody that you're interested in and trying to, you know, break that wall down so you can capture them. So mm-hmm. let's talk about the, 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 even the term see, right? You know, like the idea that, you know, and, and this is how I feel when I speak to Jamel. When I, like, I'm always, anytime that I'm speaking to somebody, Anytime that any of us speak to somebody, we want to be heard and we want to be seen for who we are, mm-hmm. right? And I, when I feel like when I'm, when I'm speaking to Jamel, he sees me. Mm-hmm. And so that comes through. And when I say see, I mean authentically sees, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I feel like he's tapped into humanity. Right. And so that, that, that skill set translates into his, into his art mm-hmm. because when he takes photographs, like... I have not seen a photograph of somebody looking bad. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like in terms of socioeconomic status, like what the what the the the, the, the timestamp on the photo is. It could be in a graffiti-filled train, right? Somebody with you know some rags on, mm-hmm. but they look regal. 
And it's just because he, for some reason, he has a skill set to see you and see you where you want to be. Do you think that's... um that is a, his approach is more of a journalistic approach or like more like a I want to say like a, I guess archaeological like he's just collecting who the people are like what do you how do you kind of view his approach to the work so I mean I don't you know I, I'm not technical when it comes right. to, to to film but I, I do know that he has a certain curiosity for humanity right and that comes across mm-hmm. now if that's archaeological or if that's journalistic I don't know I think he he walks the line. I think he's like a photojournalist who goes deeper, right, and connects with his subject. And because he's from Brooklyn, because he's you know from New York, a lot of a lot of the people that he shoots, he has a just a a, a general connection to mm-hmm. from the from the standpoint of like this is my fellow Brooklynite, and he's so he's such a like a special person that he's like looking at every individual as like yeah you're we're connected like you're my brother you're my sister peace do you mind if i you know take your picture or whatever so i think from that standpoint he's a photojournalist but he's also in many ways like just capturing history i think he proof of us yeah yeah and i think he also has a very deep understanding of oppression Mm mm-hmm and and then and not to say that our history is only about oppression. It's certainly not. But I think he has a deep understanding of what happened to us in this American diaspora, and it really shows in how he greets you, how he photographs, what he photographs. You know, he has thousands of photographs. Yeah, we only are dating back. We only have insight to a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And um, I think what was really good about that um, interview we did with him was we didn't talk much, and it w- it really gave people an insight at, into him, mm-hmm. which you you only you only infer. You don't you know right. you don't know. It's you almost like he's a legend, and myth. Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of regards, but actually in in a point that Keith was just making about the way that he connects with his subjects mm-hmm. and the way that he does this like sort of he pulls out this regal mm-hmm. sort of inner mm-hmm. you know whatever king and mm-hmm. queen right and I, <laughs> I was actually kind of blown away by his approach in his work as a corrections officer mm-hmm. at Rikers like he was like what he said about like his his uh, I think his area was like CC74 back in the days it was yeah, it was the RNDC building, which was where all the all it was a different classification back then when he was mm-hmm. there, but it was where it was popping off. And so he he said he would go find the the real, you know, guys mm-hmm. that's in there, like kind of making noise, yeah. And he would kind of make it a point to connect with them and say, look, you know, I, I think his term was like he had his house in order in a sense that yo. You know, we in here, so mm-hmm. and we're, we're together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, get a cut. Make sure you you know, yo, let's be on point. Let's you know, da da da. And he would he would kind of like try to impart this wisdom, this like life wisdom, on you know seemingly dudes who were sort of the forgotten, outcasts, the outcasts yeah. of mm-hmm. of our he was of our community. Yeah, and and I think there's a really big human sort of angle to to Jamel that's like that goes way beyond like the photographer or the corrections officer he's looking to build 
on a on a whole different level. He's looking to you know nation build, yeah, which he, is dope. And you guys have known him for quite some time. For a yeah. minute, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Phil, and then Phil, you know, you take a lot of phenomenal pictures. How has I mean, like, what do you kind of see in his work? How has his work kind of influenced like this the stuff that you do? Um, well, Jamel is almost like one of the reasons I even shoot because when I saw his books, I was like, wow, like. What was dope about it, and again, going back to like what Keith just said, the, the point that he just made was like, I'm seeing all of these people, like literally, like when the first time me and Dogs got, uh, you know, what was it, time before crack, yeah. we're looking through and we're like, oh, yo, that's so and so, yo, that's mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yeah. and everybody from Brooklyn from Dogs a certain is era, urban vernacular for Kenneth Montgomery. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the melancholy <laughs> yeah. this week. I'm not gonna say much. <laughs> not but, uh, but we would go through and we would see all these you know like people just from the past that you just maybe haven't seen mm-hmm. but that then that was like the common thread like anybody that'll pick up a book you know I'm, you know my cousin delano from cyprus he's right. like yo i seen so-and-so from from 81 damn oh, i ain't seen him in a minute and to see all of these people to see all of these like sort of people that i guess we weren't photographed like that like right. growing up you're looking in a magazine and you're looking in a book and you don't see reflections of yourself. So right. to see that is powerful. And, and, and you know, it, it goes, a, it's, a, um, it's like a, a really ill concept because when you study our history, um, our history was removed from world history. Mm-hmm. As Africans, we, we were removed. Um, and we're actually seeing in real time someone who's taking the taking and following a line, Gordon Parks and, and a bunch of other people, and not just photographers, writers, to actually actively preserve mm-hmm. something that has value and that, you know, I can use his photographs in my sentencing memorandums. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about what happened to us. You know? Yeah. I mean his lens his lens on Humanity, specifically his lens on blackness, is incredibly unique. But it also, I believe, is informed by this concept of the pathology of whiteness, mm-hmm. right? And so, the pathology of whiteness, so how whiteness exists, what is whiteness, we should talk about when we come back. So we just um, we just kind of like touched on this concept of pathology of whiteness. So um, you know what is pathology? <laughs> pathology is you cause know, and effect. The cause and effect of you know some outcome some, or something like that. Some illness, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> you know, um, 
the 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 ill thing about whiteness whiteness in America, which is branched out to whiteness globally, is that it has swallowed up the identity of generations of humans. So people who are historically Greco, Greek, uh, Italian, Irish, you're, um, you know, uh, bought into this idea of whiteness and gave up their cultural identity to, to buy into this, this, this power structure. Actually, white people who had disdain for one another and, and, and considered one another to be savage, savages and barbarians and right. cannibals. Right. They um, they bought into it, like you know, and what's missed? Slavs, yeah, Jewish like Slavs. Yeah. The word Slav is, is slave is from Slav. Like mm-hmm. what's missing from American history is you know American history has has taught generations of kids that slavery was unique to us. And when I say us black people, they missed a whole period where Northern Europeans and Europeans were enslaving one another. Mm-hmm. You know, all those beautiful pictures when you go to the museum and see this big powder, this white lady looking beautiful, pale skin, mm-hmm. that more than likely was a Circassian or Georgian woman who was a slave. Mm-hmm. And that was how they got their ideal of beauty. But this American thing and, and, the, and the slave trade made blackness into slavery and, and it, it really changed the, the, the relationship of, of, of the dynamic of the world. Like this world is built on conquest. Right. You know? but, and then specifically, like when we talk about the pathology of whiteness, it, it teaches or informs white people to not see. Mm-mm. And it teaches and informs uh, wealthy people, rich people, to mm-hmm. not see, mm-hmm. and it teaches people who are working class not to see poor people, mm-hmm. and it teaches you know black people not to see immigrants. The idea yeah, is okay. to be so aspirational to whatever that thing is that you want to get to, that your sense of humanity is kind of like desensitized to mm-hmm. what's happening well, globally. Well, you right? dehumanize. Yeah, you know, it's, this is big thing that we think only the people who are on the on the losing end are are dehumanized. Mm-hmm. The people who are oppressing are dehumanized they along it. the journey as well. Because for them to do that, they have to lose their humanity mm-hmm. to to subjugate another person. Because think about what success is in our ideas. The success is the is the power and the control of something to objectify everything. This glass, this book, that person. Mm-hmm. And and wealth is the thing that can transcend my humanity, and that that's a ludicrous concept when you really think about it. When you just look around, what's happened from an environmental perspective? Mm-hmm. You look at what we're doing to one another as people, and the the saddest thing about white supremacy to me is that people buy into it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's and that's that's where I'm why I guess I'm trying to be so intentional with language. I'm not even saying white supremacy. I'm just saying whiteness. Whiteness. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. And the the, right. the I, I was do, no no what got to me today, I was I was um downtown Brooklyn coming out of court and I saw like a bunch of bunch of parents Right. With their babies and the strollers and stuff like that. 
And then the to hammers? the side, they were did outside of a school. Did you say the race of these people? I like did it intentionally, <laughs> not say it. Um, outside of a school, all of these parents, all of these mothers with their children outside of a school. And then to the side were all of these nannies or all pairs or helpers with um, children that they watch. And it was two different worlds. Mm -hmm. And it was like the, the, the nannies and the, and, the, and the all pairs were looking at the mothers. These mothers were all white mothers. Mm -hmm. But the mothers were not looking at them. They did not see, see them. They were invisible. Mm -hmm. They were invisible. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that we so we're so caught up in our worlds or our you know and 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 where we're trying to get to that the this idea of our shared experiences, our shared outcomes, our our human humanity is completely being lost. Because look at our definition of like you said, dogs, our definition of success is not how many people we bring along with us. Our definition of success is how well we can, how well we can get from others without giving. To yeah, them. and what do we have? Right. Mm -hmm. So you from know, from a materialistic standpoint, and just real quick, Bond, like, like for me, it was very problematic. Like this week was really challenging for me because I didn't really have trials or court. I had to go to a few jails and write and a couple of appearances with some meetings and stuff like that. But I taught. And it was two things to me that really got me this week was, you know, I recently participated in a federal death penalty committee that it's really like I was the only black male on the committee. I am the only black male on the committee. And we're discussing a budget that's required to defend saving the lives of 360 something people that the federal government has deemed to be death eligible. And it really, it had nothing to do with case law or anything like that, but it really showed me that this is a, a machine, an apparatus that doesn't value human life. Black or white. Black or white. Um, and, you know, and to, to go from that, to go to class, and in class, we're, we're going through Nell Painter's um, The History of White People, um, and then we, we talk about, they didn't, the students didn't know I was talking about this book um, that you put me on to, Uncle Keith, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. But I was bringing some concepts and then I started, you know, talking about some things and to look at these beautiful, young, bright, mostly of West Indian descent, young kids in college, try to synthesize what's happening to them and trying to come up with a solution was really devastating to me because they they don't know it, but they all of them, not all of them, the majority of them who were vocal were really speaking through a European lens, trying to find an African solution. Yeah, yeah, and that's madness. Right, yeah. right. And I was like, wow. Right. And I had to take a step back. You know, uh, give give us an example. Um. All right, real quick. Because I know Barn has something to say. Um, the what I was telling them was that everyone seems to think that it's money that black people need to remove the oppression or alienation. And I was trying to tell them, or this person in particular in the class, that black people have been making money for centuries. Mm -hmm. Big money. Mm -hmm. That's not the problem. No. The, the issue is, so he was like, well, we just got to get money so that we can buy land 
And yo, within his analysis, he never mentioned education. Mm -hmm. He never mentioned what is our cultural default. He never mentioned what is the educational process to hold on on to know what to do with land or money Mm -hmm. or any of this. And when I told him, I said, listen, imagine if you had 10 different areas in this city where a group of people were able to get 75 to 100 students and their parents. And we had free education and we built our own curriculum and we started developing our own ideology. Mm -hmm. And it was for free. We were getting retired teachers, retired Mm -hmm. people, people active. It was an intersection of the community and we had a space that was free. And he was suspect of that. And Mm -hmm. I was like, wow. And he couldn't understand it took him, I don't know if he understood, or I'll find out next week, that he didn't understand the value of creating an ideology. And he didn't understand that that very thing that you're fighting does not care about your money or your personal coming up. Because what's pushing Warren Buffett's money, what's pushing George Soros' money, what's pushing the, pushing the Koch brothers' money is an ideology that sustains their money. It, it creates the paths for their money to do what it needs to do. Well, they're so ingrained in this value system. See, the thing is, you can take away somebody's material possessions, money. You can take away clothes. You can take away houses. All that stuff can be taken from you. Mm-hmm. But a value system is something that can, can, be, can be taken. That's why when you, like where I live, and I live in, Hasid, in the Hasidic community, mm-hmm. right? These are not necessarily all wealthy people. Mm-hmm. Like these are a lot. A lot of these people are actually working class or underneath working class. Oh, the thing that, but the thing that they do have is they do have shared common values. Mm-hmm. They have a value system that says, you know what? We know at the end of the day where our where, where our interests lie, and this is where we're going to stay. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, it's unfair. It's an unfair proposition to say to black people, hey. We all need to share the same values in order to move forward because mm-hmm. we're not a monolith. Mm-hmm. There's just like just think about the vastness of Africa, mm-hmm. right? It is a continent. It is it is like saying, hey, North Americans need to have, need to have the same value system as South Americans. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just not fair. If you think about it, the people in this room right now, right? We're all, we're all black, right? From different parts of mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, descendant, right. you know yeah. descendants of different parts of the world. Yeah. But it's interesting, like listening to Keith, listening mm-hmm. to Kenny, it all makes me think about privilege. Mm-hmm. So when we swing back to the um, what you just talked about with the, the pathology of privilege, the pathology of privilege, mm-hmm. and then and then being downtown and seeing right. these nannies right. on pairs and these women in their strollers mm-hmm. talking about privilege, mm-hmm. and you know, considering what Kenny was saying, who who's the privileged one there? Is it the person who's able to pick up and take care of their kids or the person who's able to provide the nanny and the on pair to pick up and take care of their kids? Because all of it really speaks to finance. So it's, it's all privileged. The idea. Listen, me as a as a as a, as a black hetero man, mm-hmm. there is a certain level of privilege that I exact over a black woman. Mm-hmm. Right. In certain spaces. There's and vice certain, versa. And there's a certain <laughs> level of privilege that I would exact over someone who doesn't have, who doesn't have um, heteronormative values, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about, there are systems of privilege that exist, and what we need to start doing is seeing one another. 
Mm-hmm. And when we see one another, not in a sense of, oh, I'm looking down at anybody, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I'm seeing you and I'm learning from you. You're seeing me, you're learning from me. We're having authentic exchanges. And we're not, as human beings, we're just not having authentic exchanges. Think about when you travel from your house to your, you, from your, you travel from your house to your job, how many people do you see? Right. right? You see hundreds, maybe thousands of people, mm-hmm. right? How many of those people do you wish well to? Do they wish well to you? Do they say hello? Do they say good morning? How many authentic exchanges of pleasantness do you have before you get to your destination, mm-hmm. your job? And that's the problem. That's the problem with where we are as human beings. Yeah, but, you know, for me, it's, it's so it's such a messy thing. Like, you know, we have to face the fact that uh, white nationalism, particularly America, was built on a lot of bad ideas that worked out for very few people. So trying to apply logic to them sometimes um, through the lens of how those ideas were built is just you're chasing your, your, your circle. It's a right. circle because, you know, looking in our society, you know, everyone has some sort of privilege like Ben Keith just said. Right. Unfortunately, uh, for black men, um, we're not the people, uh, species people are running to hire. Right. Um, Black women in corporate America, um, homosexual men in certain areas mm-hmm. have more privilege than us in certain areas. We have more, like, so it's like this battle of who has the privilege or more, you know, so, but I, I, So I think that that's a, that's a tough one <coughs> because the numbers, the numbers are that white males, right, mm-hmm. have, th- that's, that's kind of like an exclusive space for them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Senior level management mm-hmm. in these corporations, right? Mm-hmm. However, the numbers indicate that black women are probably the most, most effective. Right? The most effective. effective. No, they're doing, they're moving the work. Yeah. They're doing, they're managing the projects. Right. Right. They're, you know, like they're, you know, we deal with them in right. these projects. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, you know, but there's a ceiling mm-hmm. for them right. as well. In terms of yeah. time. But, but what, one of the things that really bothered, the, the other example, Phil, that bothered me, there was a young Haitian sister who was really bright, really insightful. Like ninety nine percent of my class is um, is is of, of West Indian Caribbean. I say saying West Indian of Caribbean um, descent, African descent. Um, she said, and I had to really pause for a second. She said that the Haitian Revolution was a waste of time mm-hmm. because look at Haiti and look what happened to Haiti. I said, look, what happened to Haiti was a result of the courage of Haiti. Like, what do you you know? We should should, should hit that when we come back. All right. Yeah. All right. The beach has a rich and magnificent history full of adventure, excitement. And mystery Some of it bitter And some of it sweet But all of it part of The beat The beat the beat.
was that this really bright young lady and and her analysis was that the Haitian revolution was pointless because of look now what happened to Haiti and how Haiti is suffering. And she didn't understand the history. She didn't understand how valuable that was to to the legacy of not just Haitians, Africans, Mm -hmm. and not even just Africans, working class laboring people. Using that same same rationale, though, would be like saying like, oh man, the civil rights movement wasn't worth nothing because Mm -hmm. look at Malcolm X, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'd rather be Al Sharpton. You know, and you know, rather be Al Sharpton versus Malcolm X. And you know why that's a valuable thought process to some people or the appearance of is because as a group of people, Caribbean, African, Black American, South American, Black, Black Hispanic, we are still evaluating our success, what is success and where we are through a white lens. Mm-hmm. And, and we're afraid to go and embark on another or innovate another ideology out of fear of the unknown. And we rather rely on this system that we know for a fact doesn't, doesn't fuck with us. But you know, that, that, I mean, that kind of brings us back to Jamel Shabazz. But then also kind of, for me, you know, I think about Jamel Shabazz and what he's capturing in his images, which is, you know, everyday black people. And, you know, it seems that nowadays there's a pushback for the everyday black people. Everybody want to be superstars now. So then that almost brings me back. What do you mean, like entertainers? Yeah, it's like, so, you know, like we talk, we talk about all, all the time about that celebrity culture. So, so you mean bullshit. born after transatlantic mm-hmm. slave trade, mm-hmm. millions of black Africans dead, after Pro, mm-hmm. after Red Jim Summers, Crow, Jim Crow, de facto segregation, all of this shit, mm-hmm. our young people want to be entertainers? It, that escapism shit. When you think about like what Keith was saying, like when we broke down that scenario, that visual that Keith gave about the people waiting outside for these kids, the, the fucking nannies and the on-pairs and the parents and shit, the one, pe- the one thing that we did not include in that scenario was that employed nanny, that employed on-pair, who probably nine times out of ten in Brooklyn in that scenario was a black person, a West Indian person. As the, it's the West Indian person 
who is probably sending money back to take for somebody else to take care of, of their family, mm-hmm. right? And but why that's, is that not cele- but that's, celebrated? You know, why but, is it not seen as, as, as we're talking about? Because I don't know that that necessarily, um, I don't know if that's something that we should celebrate. The working person or the person that's caring for somebody else's kid? The person, the black person who was taking care of this white family's gotcha. kid, right? We, you know, like, why Why should we celebrate that? I'm not saying that it's not an honorable thing to say, have a it's job. A, it's a job. It's a, it's right. A, it's right. A I'm not saying it's not job. honorable to have a job. But, but why Why should we celebrate that? Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it, or does it reinforce? Here, here's, here, here's, my, here's my perspective on it. The problem with that is those white kids come up. <laughs> all they're used to. Are black people or people of color and being service? The, they kids going to oppress the, our kids. Being the help. Mm-hmm. So when those kids, so now when I go into school and I pick my kids up, <laughs> it doesn't matter if I have on a suit or if I have on a do rag. If I go into school, <laughs> right? Do rags to pick your kids I, I, don't, I don't have. I don't even have hair. So do rag is like whatever. But the point is, right? When I go to pick my kids up, right, and those kids see me, they see me as the help. Because that's all they're used to, right, black and brown right, people. Right, right. Now, that's their problem. That's not my problem. Mm-hmm. That's their problem. But what I'm saying is, how do we start to, or do we start? And, you know, and this is the other thing, right? Um, these race conversations, these conversations about race, they need to stop being our conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. White people, these, we this, need these, to, these yeah, are white people. Those are their conversation. Like we, no, nah, seriously, we need to be start talking about innovating our value and our cultural I system totally and how to survive and how to evolve and how to maintain and how to grow as human beings. Why is that, why is that woe is me kind of thing the dominant conversation for black folk? Or so that's a woe is me question yeah <laughs> I don't know yeah yeah, yeah, cause yeah. It's yeah. up like I, I don't even want to answer right. that question <laughs> your exposure to yeah your, your I, people I, I think that, that I think that it's 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 impossible mm-hmm. as you as you try to be progressive and as you try to teach and as you try to learn mm-hmm. right it's impossible not to prop not to issue spot right right the skill set is in problem solving are we developing skills to problem solve and I think that um, if your focus is on problem solving, then you start to do things on a personal level. Mm-hmm. So what I've tried to be, what I've tried to do on a very intentional level is when I see people say hello, say hi, be intentional about looking in, looking them in the eye mm-hmm. and making that connection. Having, I'm having real conversations mm-hmm. with people and listening, mm-hmm. not just like. You know, nodding your head. Hey, you know, trying to get out of as fast as I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get here to here. Like today, it was interesting. I, I was. Um, I had to print something. I had something had happened in court, and I had to run to the print shop to print something to to bring it back. And when I was in the um, the far, I went stopped at the pharmacy because I had to get change. Hmm. When I stopped in the pharmacy, the woman in in the line before me, she was. Um, she she had worked there. And so she got into a conversation with the guy. He had called me next. He said, come to the cash register. So I'm at the cash register, but he's engaging in this conversation. It's taking like three minutes, five minutes with this woman that was right before me. And so I'm standing there and I'm like losing my patience, right? I'm like, wait, like, dog, you called me up here. Can I pay for my stuff and leave? Because I have to run back into court. And and he turns to me and he says, "Um, yeah, she, um, she used to work here. And you know, he starts to explain to me how how th- his the nature of his relationship with this woman, 
And I, I took a second to be reflective because I wanted to rush him and be like, bro, just let me pay for my stuff. But he was engaging me in a conversation. With you and with so you. I said, I was reflective in the moment and I said, all right, bet. I'm going to engage in this conversation. It took another five minutes, right? Because, you know, I let him say what he had to say and then I gave him input. And then after the conversation, right, he took my money, paid, you know, I paid for my thing. And when I walked out the pharmacy, I was like, that interaction was actually worth me being a little bit late for this thing. Mm-hmm. And like we, I, I believe that when we start reinforcing moments like that, you know, to one another, we can spark a revolution. We can spark little tiny personal revolutions that will actually, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. That will start inspiring us to do larger things. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that being reflective in these in these micro moments mm-hmm. of things is incredibly important. And that, you know, that has to be really taken apart and understood the the value of because the problem is in a time in an age where masses of black people only can evaluate themselves through the lens of European culture. Um, that's really difficult to get people to actually be innovative and be transforming and to be disruptive. And it's something Nadia had said a while ago in a podcast a while ago, is that true change and revolution is disruptive. There's nothing comfortable about it. And when you have people who will say, well, not enough people, once you in something and you doing something of substance and somebody's up there saying, well, not enough people know, man, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're done. Right. Because you chase numbers, you lose You've the lost the value and you, you have no innovation. You're still in that European filter. And there's nothing wrong. European has done, Europeans have done a very good job of subjugating and controlling the world and the masses and convincing millions of people of different races to buy into that culture. That's fine. Other people, other histories, other value systems need to be subjective and objective in developing their own humanity. You know, because humanity isn't, yo, man, we got money now too. Right. Nah. We got guns too. We could kill too. We, you know, we like that's not what humanity is. Probably, and, yeah, we need to, we need to start redefining the place of exchange, right? We need to start redefining how our, how we interact with one another, mm-hmm. why we interact with one another, our relationships. Right. And I think that once we start defining these things on our own terms, then things like money, houses, all of those things should be tertiary, probably third place, mm-hmm. right, to a bunch of other things. But once we get other things aligned, then those, but, but where, you know, what's the point of alignment? The idea is that we're in such a rat race for food, clothing and shelter Basic that, shit. right, that we, <laughs> we can't even, it's, it's tough for us to even see above or see around um, the idea that we always need to be on this hunt to, to, to get, to consume, consume, consume. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just uh, I was just explaining a similar point to my nephew uh, a week ago in Atlanta. Shout out to Dante. 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 Young Dante. Dante punched me in my private parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How old was he? Six? He's a mad young. Oh, that's my dude. Cute. But, um, chill. Sorry, I owe him one cute. for that one. 
<laughs> but he, I, I was making a point to him that um, him and his boy actually shout out to his boy Spraga. Spraga, he's, he's Jamaican, Jamaican trouble. Spraga is an appropriate name. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Super young Jamaican dude, but we, they, we were building on a bunch of stuff. But in general, um, I was giving them just a little bit of insight on like the power of thought, the power of um, sitting back for a moment, the freedom, I guess, to think. And that's mm-hmm. and how much that's of a, a luxury that be, is. Right? Yeah. Like when we think about it, it's such a um, it's such a small thing. But often we're in this rat race. We're in this, you know, like the paper chase. And, you know, we got to get the bag and all of that kind of stuff. Right. But mm-hmm. we don't ever really have adequate time to kind of sit and plan. It's, it's or a strategize. Right? So I, I find that, you know, um, it's important for us to have that understanding and that dialogue that. You know, when you do have that time, when you do have that free moment, that's a luxury and you you have to seize the moment. You can't you can't like turn on Netflix and binge out, you know, all the time. Like, of course, everybody could do whatever they got to do. But <laughs> we do need to plan and take the time out to um, dedicate to thinking and planning. And, you know, like you said, you know, whatever the plan is, get the house, get the land, get mm-hmm. the you know, whatever it is, plan. And, mm-hmm. and spend that time doing it. I mean, you know, but when we talk about the privilege and stuff like that, you know, the privilege to plan, man, I mean, it's, it's going to mm-hmm. advance you. So, like, you know, I think that's the dangerous part about, um, dangerous in a good way about allowing black folks that time to, like, really, really think and do what they fucking supposed to do, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the privilege, he said the privilege to plan. So, um, but yeah, so we're going to take this, uh, take this break and come right back. big guns on the last episode we got the big jamaican gun shabby in the building what's up shabby you good hi guys i'm just you know, know. Was, yeah, oh, you know man like, if anybody who knows shabby <laughs> that ain't real no that ain't real it's cool all right so look there's white male privilege and, and this is something my brother mally band um the big head scientist 
will, yeah, will really oh, point out good shit. Yeah, he cool. would he has said in the past that and I, I'm probably not gonna say it as articulate as Mally would say it, but he would say now that with Donald Trump in office and we're never like we ain't one of those people like a group of people like oh Donald Trump he's just a as I say all the time a symptom of the illness but he does show that white supremacy at its height and at its intellectual low <laughs> at the same time that someone like him and like brother Keith has said that you don't have to be exceptional to run something in, in America if you're white and now we have this thing with Kavanaugh, who I've watched him. Um, I'm not impressed by his intelligence. Um, I think uh, Euro European and a lot of people of color who believe in the European way, they would look at someone like him strictly because he went to a Ivy League school or prep school and he's in position as someone who's smart. Um, but I am not impressed by anything that he has said. He does, his intellectual capacity doesn't convince me of anything. Um, however, he is on the cusp of becoming the Supreme Court justice. There has been 113 Supreme Court justices in American history. Out of that, there have been four women out of that 113 all of the women but for one have been white females and there has been two men other than white men and out of those two men it's been Thurgood Marshall and Clarence Thomas right um and I'm sure you could take those take those statistics apply it to the presidency 45 presidents one uh African-American president, the rest white males. You can apply it to senators. You can apply it to head of Fortune 500s. You can apply it, you know, across the board to positions of power. So we're clear on what this is about. What's interesting is their value system that they created somehow uniquely changes when they are the subjects to be judged. Right. So now you have a guy. Yeah. So you got a guy. Just imagine an inverse. Imagine um, Clarence Thomas, who clearly has issues as a human being, in my opinion. <laughs> like, I'm not even going to jump on the guy, but, you know, the guy said nothing for years when his man was still alive. And you almost didn't think he could talk. And whenever he did say something or write something, he concurred with, with, with this else. nut. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not even you go find out in, in the history of all that. And you have this, you know, imagine an inverse. Imagine if. If and then think about race and how it affects American society. Imagine if Clarence Thomas uh, uh, accuser wasn't black Anita Hill. Right. Would he be on that uh, bench? Absolutely not. All right. Now imagine uh, now Kavanaugh, who's accused of like the guy who's pushing him, accused of sexual assault. You know, Donald Trump's sexual assault is much more recent than his, but. You know, his character is coming out because that's a lifetime appointment. And he's accused of this sexual assault. And now sexual assault and Me Too is a very serious thing. It should yeah. should be in society. What do you think about uh, male, female culture, sex culture and society and how black women are dealt with in society, Shabby? 
So, <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, like, have you ever been sexually harassed? No. But Ever? With my personality, do you see that happening? <laughs> I see it happening. Well, I see you checking somebody. Well, I've never been sexually harassed, mm-hmm. but the only incident I've ever had in my entire life was walking up the steps of the subway and a man poking me. I was wearing a skirt and a man poking me. Like, it was a thin, it was summer, and he poked me in my ass and it kind of went right between my. That's sexual what? The cheeks that's sexual, of my like that's sexual assault. And so I turned around and I kicked him, and he tumbled down the stairs, and I ran off. Good. I remember going home and taking a shower because mm-hmm. I felt you dirty. felt violated, and I felt dirty, and mm-hmm. I was like, wow. And all I said to myself was like, now I know how. A woman that's been violated how she feels do you like, know what he looked like or? i don't it was a white man like i don't honestly i don't remember like it was just like a white man yeah and he was in a suit and I like no, and, and i was just like i felt like why would he do that and i was just like but i was just that you're surprised that it was a white man's mm-hmm. problematic <laughs> well, you, you know it's no, 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 but, so, but let's, let's let her finish okay <laughs> but i mean I've, i'm sure every woman in who's ridden the train in new york city has been um has had a man pull out his private part on a mm-hmm, train mm-hmm. and has experienced that like flashing like what I about at the workplace so, what about so, that sounds uh, real real quick though no literally Yo, i think every woman i think black or white has that story i swear like, to I you swear at, I, around, growing up in high school college that's in high school for us it was happening all the time i, I saw it that. was like yeah. so regular that i would run into like just friends and you know no no real family members but a lot of friends Girlfriends at the who, time. Who's they joining? Yo, son. No, I was like, yo, no, literally, what? I've seen, I've had. It's so wild. Go-to. I've had. I've been on the two train and I've been on the NNR train going up to the Bronx because I used to work after, with other people on the train. Yeah, with a few other people on the train, but I've been on the train with like because I used to work at Tavern on the Green in college, and so I worked from four to one p.m. and so when I got off, I couldn't take Metro North to Westchester because the last train was one thirty. By the time I got out of Tavern and Green, I would miss the train, so I would take the two train to the last stop and go to my aunt's house in the Bronx because she lived on the border between Mount Vernon and oh, you Westchester. Oh, four p.m. to one a.m. Yes. Okay. One a.m. So yeah, I was on the train a lot, and so I would do crazy things because I was like really, I was a really loud mouth in college, and so for real. Yeah, so <laughs> I knew, and that was kind of during like the AIDS epidemic. It was just right. a lot of stuff was going on, going home at night as a female, mm-hmm. and so I was always nervous. But I was always like my father. I just my father always said I had street smart. Like I always paid attention to my right. surroundings. Right. And so if I saw anybody like checking <clears throat> me out or staring at me on a train like at two o'clock in the mornings, because I was like eighteen, nineteen, mm-hmm. I would start talking to myself. Like like a homeless person. Mm-hmm. Like I literally would talk like it has You gotta you gotta develop weapons yeah, to start, deal with yeah, it. Yeah, and I would start like, you know, I mean I, and, and I'm not trying to make fun of like the mental health community mm-hmm. right. you know, with bipolar, but I would start acting a little but, bipolar. But, I would start on purpose. Tactic, yeah. And I would be like, Oh my god, I would start crying like I, mean, I can't believe I'm HIV positive and I would start oh, rocking whoa, back and no, forth. No, listen, no. listen. Sorry, yeah, I would do crazy You have an incredible like that. imagination. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah, but I, and then people would be like, Oh my god, and people would get up and walk away from me but a real crazy person would have been like oh for real (laughs) okay yeah in inverted situations I felt like no one ever really stepped to me because if I saw a situation I would just act crazy and they would leave me alone but 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 see (laughs) you know but there's a history like there's a there's a history you know we're not talking about workplace stuff we're not talking about it's all but no listen fashion but listen it's a look that's where it happened look but look I was with gay men and straight but think about this I I talked to my class last night Mm -hmm. and I 
I was talking to the is is majority women mm-hmm. in an academic environment. Mm-hmm. Right? That's just something that black men are used to. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to be in a minority in that mm-hmm. academic environment. And I said, yo, how many of you have been in a position where you're walking home or you're somewhere <laughs> in this dark and there's a group of young men on the corner and that group of young men force you to straighten your back up a little mm-hmm. bit straight because you don't know if it's going to be a cat call. You don't know if somebody's going to say, yo, come here. Yo, bitch, fuck you. Can't get your number. Like, you don't, and you're prepared for that. And every single one of them said they dealt with that. And they and their responses were unique. They were, they were diverse. Some said, yo, we were taught that black men are savages. And we have to, you know, deal with that. It would make me so, angry, though. Like, it depended on what they said to me. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was in the most mainly Jamaican community. So they would say different things. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, you know, some of the Jamaican talking about pum pum and this, that, mm-hmm. and the third. They would say they would talk about how big yours was or how fat yours looked and so when I was growing up as I was developing as a young you know woman like you know you're self-conscious about your body and so like in my neighborhood where my father's store was like yeah I did have some guys that knew my dad that I guess when they saw that I was developing they would say like really foul things to me and would just make me angry and I'd be like I'm gonna tell my dad And so, like, it's funny that you didn't necessarily look at that as sexual harassment when no, we asked if you were ever cold. sexually harassed. And this is cold. my point. Yeah, I, I feel didn't. like I women. Did. Only when that guy touched my. Mouth. I now I, I was going to say I know you know I don't have really uh, close relationships with a lot of white women. Most of mm-hmm. my relationships with uh, women of color. Mm-hmm. I will say, particularly in, as you get older and when you speak to our parents. Black women have become accustomed to be being sexually harassed. It's, it's become normalized. Thing. Yes. Yeah. To I, guess the point. I, I guess I never Nima told me Nima told me that. She's yeah. like, "Oh, that used to happen all the time." Yeah, the I, never, I never t- I would have never given it that title sexual harassment. I just, you know, guys are like, "Hey, slim, we hey, need to, cutie, we like, need we, to start calling I, out things, right? For, but, for what mean, they are. You, it, you know why though? Really? Cuz when a guy said, "Hey, slim, hey, cutie," that didn't bother me. If they started talking about private parts, yeah, in public, that would have more so embarrassed me because they would yell it loud and I would get angry because it's like, okay, why did you have to talk about, you know what that, I'm saying? Like that, that's and the, like that's in the, front of everybody. But that's the that pathology, that's the pathology of patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. But now we, we have to start calling these things out. You know why? Because men, we don't deal with those things. If, if, if I'm walking down the street and a group of women are on the corner, I don't have a second thought. Right. It's not even something. There's no trauma associated with that. Right. Mm -hmm. But there are certain traumas that are associated with things that you have experienced in your life that you don't necessarily deal with. They present in other ways. And I'm not trying to diagnose you. I'm just saying we all deal with we all deal with traumas. Mm -hmm. Those traumas present in different ways in our life. (laughs) And so if we don't call those things out, then we never confront those things. If we don't confront those things, then they pass pass us by. They keep they keep they keep reoccurring in our lives in different ways. They, They present in the way that we deal with people that we trust. They present in the way that we deal with people that we're doing business with, that we're in relationships with. So it's important for us to start calling out shit that doesn't make sense, that shouldn't be happening in our lives, and calling it out so that generations coming underneath us, right? So that the Jades and the Kennedys and Mm -hmm. Summers, right? They when they have a conversation with you and they say something, it it's a red flag for you. Mm -hmm. You say that doesn't make any sense. That's not acceptable. Yeah. Don't you know? Don't allow that. And I think that that our community needs to start doing that because we start we've normalized 
a lot of things that are unhealthy in our mm-hmm. community. But I feel like we as black women, though, we just we don't get that luxury to speak out against no them. we don't get that luxury like I mean like, what, what I just described and what most women describe being called out like and mm-hmm. honestly I never took that as sexual harassment mm-hmm. like even the guy talking about my private my phone mm-hmm. like it didn't in my mind it wasn't sexual harassment it was just him being mm-hmm. like, whatever right he was harassing he you was harassing me about like, something sexual sexual but <laughs> even though it is sexual <laughs> harassment I didn't, at the time and even probably right. until right like this moment I still didn't take it as a me I wouldn't have yo, taken for me, it as a me too movement yo and for me but you know what was scary about the me too movement and was powerful in the same time is mm-hmm. that it's bringing attention to something that's existed for hundreds centuries thousands of years paternal, yeah. paternalistic attitudes but what's weird is that it's not defining what's okay and what isn't either it's just presenting a platform to say whoever says it they're right as well so it's like it's it's that's the problem with the with the with the hype beast and the Mm -hmm. press beast of the me too movement Mm -hmm. right so so when i I remember when the me too movement first was starting i was i started to think about some of the some of my conduct right mm-hmm. um a lot of my friends talked about their conduct like they they apologized actually because they were the guys that said hey baby hey I, cutie because start, they never thought took it as in their mind they were just being like but funny, i started i got defensive know? when i first started to think about it, i started mm-hmm. to get defensive like that's crazy like yo somebody correct but then i had to think like well if i was never corrected then it was okay. No, that's not the standard for whether something's yeah. okay, whether I'm corrected or not. The standard for whether something is okay is not just my intent. It's also into the impact, yeah. how it lands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that once we start, at a certain point, we have to be hypersensitive about how things land on others. We just do. I started checking myself yeah. as a but result because I, I, I would, I would, and it wouldn't be anything um, sexual involved with it, but I would sometimes... Greet people who I really like, who are women who I've known for a long time, and sweetheart. I stopped that. Mm-hmm. Not because of me too. I, you know what? I got to a certain point. Yeah. Well, you know what happened? I'll tell you a story that happened. But now you kind of can't do that. Anymore. I know, yeah, but but let me tell you what happened. The me too moment. Some someone referred someone to us. You might remember. You may not remember. Someone referred someone to us who I don't know. I didn't know them, and. They had not, it was a waste of my time from a legal perspective. Like it was really a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it got back to me that that person who came to see me said that I was trying to make a pass at them. Mm. Now, look, anybody who know me, uh, I I don't, um, I'm, I'm not ambiguously making passes at, that's just not my thing. I don't do that. And it bothered me. And I, I really, I like, I'm, I'm in that position where, or I've been that person where if something is bothering me, I got to handle that shit immediately. Just and it really, yeah, it. just to get it over. But it bothered me and it made me realize like, wow, you know what? You don't know what someone else's narrative is. You don't know what experiences they've been through. You don't know how they take stuff. <laughs> and, you know, so now, for instance, like I actually, look, I'm a, I feel like I'm a guy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, some people may Chi Chi uh, calls me a cat, uh, whatever that is. <laughs> What's the cat? Uh, she's like, I don't know. I don't think it's <laughs> male chauvinist, but she's right, like, I mean, you're a cat. I, I love the beauty of black women. Mm-hmm. I don't look at women 
like I used to look at women when I was in high school or college. Mm-hmm. I don't. Um, and it, and I and I'm kind of cool with that. You know what I'm saying? You but it's because you're old and you're evolving. But you know, black women, we've been sexualized. For, for no, that's a part of this system that we live in. Yeah, that we, like you've we been sexualized. You've always been sexualized to the point of yo, you're powerless. You're this yeah. the slave. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. I've definitely had like growing. I mean, growing up in my twenties or my thirties, like I had more white men hit on me than I had. Yeah. black men hit on me because you know I had a different look like my mm-hmm. head was shaved that's not sexualized that's fetishized yeah fetishized okay yeah. white men fetishize over men like <laughs> yeah but I had a shaved head so like uh, I was also like I also look like this strong black woman and like a lot of black men here yeah, in New York didn't yeah. really get yeah, like, see how, see how, I wasn't see how you're making I was, your I wasn't, in, I wasn't in style then <laughs> So. But you're you're equiv- you're equivocating, right? Because we can we can obje- all objectively say that you're a beautiful black woman. Right? I know I'm cute. Like I, know, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. I'm not into no, I've too, never sorry. not felt. You know, I grew up you being told. Met. No, but, but all my what life. you're doing so, like, though, not because I'm dark. Like I don't care about any of that foolishness. But what you're doing is you're equivocating. You're 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 making excuses for why you certain types of guys were that. and certain types of guys weren't, mm-hmm. and that's not your job. That's not even your job to think about. Right. Well, we, the reason why I thought about it because it was brought to my attention throughout my 20s and my 30s right. by black men. Like, you know, exactly. Like, that's, you, and that's you know, on you're us. actually cute. Like, I'm like, what? what? Like, but that's on seriously, us. like, I had those, I was like, I'd be like, and I wouldn't say anything, but I was just like, wow, like, people really, and I was like, wow, more and more. I never thought about it till it was brought to my attention, put it that right. way. Like, it never even occurred to me until my people brought it to my attention and you know like you're right a lot of people assume that i dated white men but i really actually have not a problem with white men but like i just think i've never dated men are a white beautiful woman. and i've always loved black men and i just knew that i, I just and i've only ever really been attracted to black men mm-hmm. so like black man is god like i just never <laughs> right. like until people were like well you just look like the type to be with a white man i'm like yo there's nothing wrong with white men i see a lot of good looking white guys i just there's nothing there's nothing, there's nothing there for me like right. my idol is a black man i'm sorry like and if i even dated a white guy i probably would leave him for a black any man. any any work. black man who said to you i only date oh you're actually cute or something like suck, that is well, well after they got to know it's me like we suck. started talking they're like you know what i never looked at you like that but you're actually really pretty like Months later, yeah, like, and I'm we sorry. Were, but and we were, no, but we weren't dating. We were no, just friends. No disrespect, like, no we shade to them, but, but they were sucked. Yeah, but I wasn't dating any of these guys. Is what I'm saying. It they were just like working people, <laughs> and so they would they would working actually suckers. they would yeah, actually yeah, exactly. work. So they would actually have conversations with me, like oh, over dinner. And I'm like, what? And I would just be like, I can't. Right. Let now. me tell you how this analogous. This analogous to I'm in this program, right? And one of my one of my professors, we're having a class discussion. And at the end of the class discussion, in front of the class, the professor says to me, oh, my gosh, Keith, you're so articulate. <laughs> okay, I yeah. hear that. Thank all. you, boss. No, I hear now, that now all just, the time. Now, you I've been so working. Well. Now, listen, listen, listen. Speech. I'm, 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 one, one, I'm 42 years old. I'm a fucking attorney. Fuck like, you I, I got five kids on this much younger than you you're my yeah. professor but yeah. you're not you know, i'm not much younger than you why yeah. wouldn't i be articulate yeah right why wouldn't i be able to express myself right i, I, I this is a doctoral program 
But so the so the the idea so the way that it lands to me is the same way. I'm looking. I'm the same yeah. way that these brothers are talking to you is the same way. That but this I get the, I get me. the articulate thing from non people of color all the time. You speak so well. You're so articulate, and the people that are telling me that I'm so articulate and I speak so well have the worst Jersey accent. I'm like, really? That's funny. Like, the bridge you, you talk so pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> You master the king's English. It's not even a compliment coming from right. you, but I talk so well. Like, get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Yo, but, but the interesting thing, you know, Keith, you got daughters. I got I got daughters. Kenny, you got a daughter. I got, daughter. got sons. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, we need to be grooming these dudes up a little a lot younger to not be. Definitely, mm-hmm. I, I I actively do that, and and I, I had a situation. Can, can you talk? Can you speak about that? Like I, I does anybody you know, cat call anymore though? I don't really hear. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cats is definitely still really? doing. That. Yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah. No question. No question. You walk well, by a construction site. No. Walk by a group of men. Period. Like I, I don't think they just did that. No, no, no. I no, caught no, I caught a dude cat calling Kennedy oh, on the wow. corner. Oh. But in, was, in, her was dad, group, huh? in her age group, like a teen. No, it was a grown ass man. Oh wow! I was, I was, I was, I was coming across the street to pick up the twins, and this dude is cat calling Kennedy and her friend, and I walk up to him and I'm like, "You calling her?" I was like, "Yo, she's not even she's six. A kid, she yeah. wasn't even sixteen. I was like, she's not even sixteen. He's like, oh, 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 and it's crazy enough. He had a construction outfit. Yeah, hard hat. I was like, yo, like for real. Like, yo, dudes are out here son. trying to like yo, when they are Kelly. Nah, I, 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 I <laughs> definitely. Yeah, you got five daughters, Keith. And they're yeah, all pretty. you got five daughters, son. Well, pretty doesn't have, but pretty don't have, have nothing much to, to do, do with really? it. Nah, that don't. I, Sometimes I don't, that's actually pretty subjective too. Yeah, man. No, like, pretty is subjective. Yeah, like because that's and it's part of objective. Uh, uh, objective, <coughs> you know, Yeah, yeah. Like, you watch maybe, the maybe some men feel. I, like, I do. I haven't watched it. Maybe some men feel like if a girl walks by, like a construction guy. I'm not trying to judge all. I, mean, I know mm-hmm. all it's construction guys. Yeah, exactly. But maybe they feel they have to say something to a girl with pimples in a book bag. Yeah, but what's a pimple? <laughs> Everybody gets a pimple. Yeah, she looks. She looks. She looks. Like no, I agree with you. I agree with you. But I mean, just wait. Yo, I know that grown men beauty. that I know personally who Definitely. are in their forties, mm-hmm. and they they are definitely looking at the eighteen year old girl. Yeah, and they're fine with whatever happens. Yeah. with that. I know that. <laughs> and I, I stay away from the motherfucker. So um, so yeah, and so with that, we're just gonna take a break. It doesn't matter, it goes into my head as just chit-chatter You may think it's egotistical or just very free But what you say, I take none of it seriously And even if I did, I wouldn't tell you so I'd let you pretend to read me and then you'd know Cause I hate when one attempts to analyze Fact I despise those who even try To look into my eyes to see what I am thinking That dream is over, yeah, y'all is sinking I tell all of you like I told all of them What you say to me is just paper thin But, but Kenny, what's what's that conversation you that what, I have with this with, with, you, with your boys? Um, I mean, I mean, I've had literal. Yeah, time. I haven't had it with Jet to the level that I've had it with Stone yet, just because of time and space. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's time for Jet right, at right. certain spaces yet. I want to see his natural self grow out so that I can figure out where I pick my <laughs> points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Stone has always been a reflective person. So you, which is good and bad in the sense that you don't know what he's thinking, but you, how he projects, you're like, oh, all right, I'm proud of that. 
What I told him was straight up. I said, listen, man, you have beautiful women in the family and community who love you. Mm -hmm. um, always be respectful of that and never make assumptions and step away from the peanut gallery when dealing with gender and, and women and whoever, whatever. I was like, even dudes who maybe, you know, you know, it, he went to Alaska and I think it was a dude who was homosexual in, a, in an Alaska trip. And I said, yo, man, get that dude in space, but don't judge him, leave him. Right. You know, if you ain't, that ain't your thing, keep it moving. You ain't gotta make a big deal about what your thing is and what's not your thing. As far as women go, you know, look, you're getting older. You know, I'll give you a, <laughs> he might be embarrassed. I, I asked him one day, I said, yo, do you know how to put on a condom? And he That's looked at us. Oh, <laughs> it was Man. just me and him. And he looked and he said, <clears throat> I might said, have Dad, uh, no, he said, hey, he said, I'll figure it out, Dad. And he started <laughs> yeah, laughing. Right, right. But he was a genuine laugh. But right. I also told him, I'm like, look, in this day and age, it's okay to learn about the young lady. Of course. It's okay. Now, you don't have to rush into a sexual relationship mm -hmm. with any woman or young lady. It's no, it's no need for that. Like right. that's that's. Oh, I mean, is that realistic? It's not, but I'm saying, but, but I'm saying it's no. I, what I said to him, you know the urges. Yeah, yeah but, I said, but, I, but, yeah, but I said, but I said, what I said different. Yeah, but some what kids I, develop faster than some yeah, but, develop faster. But this is what I told him. I said, listen, take your time and understanding the people you deal with as their mentality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That. And then I also said, look, you're going to get to college, you're going to go to these parties, and people are going to be doing adult-like things that produce adult-like problems, but they're not adults. Right. And you're you going to have to make that. Because yeah. for me, and I, I just tried to relate my experiences. Like me, I did not, when I got to high school and college, yo, the girl who was just super loud and loose and or whatever, ready because she was drinking, mm -hmm. I didn't go for that. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to see how that person react when they wasn't in that vibe. Because as an attorney, I've seen way too many situations where that turned into a criminal mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. And a young black male is getting kicked out of his private school and or he's going to jail. So did, you have, did your parents talk to you about that? Or you just knew that innately, like not to deal with a person that's... You know what? Someone I... Like I'm, I'm not going to take credit for your life because mm -hmm. you meet through people through life who really help you and push you along. But somewhere along the way of growing up, somebody told me that shit. Yeah. And I believe that shit. <laughs> that's so funny because my, my dad mentioned that to my brothers and I'm the oldest. Mm -hmm. But I remember like he was like, you know... He's, he always told me like if you're gonna drink don't mix your drinks mm -hmm. make sure he's just, he always gave me advice he's like listen oh. I'm talking to Jay yeah like, I'm talking to my daughter I'm gonna talk to her about everything I talk to my sons about yeah I remember yeah. I was driving in Westchester and my father was like if a cop pulls you over late at night don't stop to get to a lit area he told me that from lit, like and I was like yeah. why but he's a cop he's like I don't care like you need to go to an area where there's people around mm -hmm. then you stop and I was like I don't know he just always told me that like as a female. Because I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah, he said, as a female, by yourself, like I just would feel better if you're pulled over. But I don't think it. I don't think it just gotta come from me. What I would like to is I'm really privileged and honored to be in a community where I know you ain't gonna hold your tongue on Shabby. No. Um, Barn, Uncle Keith, Uncle Phil, Mally, um, HB, Steve. Jack, like we in a, I said, like we in a community, Candace, the Chichis, like Nima's, like we in a community 
Nima Shang, like these kids are gonna have to get it from multiple sources for it to make sense. Yeah. So you know, I don't. You know, that, that's just my thing. But I don't you guys, I mean, but you guys are blessed though, because you have you have a good set of kids. You guys have good kids. But no, but but at the same that are, time, that they, they care just, about what's going on in the world. But I mean, you know, that's the a testament to the parents. They're dealing with a lot time, today that we weren't dealing with though. There's social media. They have There's access to a lot of the, the community. Yeah, the community is really like the linchpin. The, the yeah. linchpin, right? Because if you got several people that's checking in, like, you know, like I just noticed walking in, mm-hmm. Jay grew about 15 inches mm-hmm. over the summer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? And, you know, I spoke to that. Mm-hmm. And when you see a change or a shift in, in any kid that you notice in your community, if you speak into that, then their behavior, if it's a behavioral thing, then the behavior shifts. But I think that is a privilege, you know, between about the privilege, that's a privilege mm-hmm. to be inside of a community that. He's responsive. That's responsive, and I think you know, like you know, speaking back, swinging it back to what we were talking. My mother, my mother would say, if it's two, if there's two or more guys in the wrong barn, you leave. Mm. If it's a girl, two or more guys. Like right. growing up, and this is not right. the yeah, anybody. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get it. Nah, I'm not. You know, whatever. It's, I didn't participate in any of the gang bangs growing right. up. Right. 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 Oh, I just feel like as a guy, like I'm more like I think I more want to be a one on one with whoever I was with. Like I don't need to be in a group of people. Like that's where I find it's weird. Yeah, but it, it like, was okay. I'm next. But like, there's no weird but, to me. but there's some disconnecting just, like just, there's, there's some psychological this. disconnections in that moment. I mean, that moment. I just feel like, like no. Like, you know what I'm saying? But for me, you know, growing up though, you know, like growing up, Nima, Nima, one time growing up. Um, when I, I was like, you know, you get to an age where you're like regularly sexually active. And I was, I was my, for me, I was regular from like 12, 13, but 14, I was, it was popping. So I was See, a last really key, young. listen, I was a last key kid. So I never forget my, my girlfriend at the time, she bolts out the crib before um, Nima gets home. But I remember Nima comes home and she was like, She's mad quiet. She's like, Kenny, what you doing in there? She sleeping? You better not got no girl pregnant, got no boy, no A's in here. <laughs> and I was like, yo, how she know? Mm-hmm. I was like, yo, I was like, what's this? So that I always had these things until I got to college. And you get to college, and it's like there is no thing. You just like, wow, you out here, and you figuring it out. But, yeah. you know, it, it all depends on your thing at home because mm-hmm. I grew up with dudes who were paying for their girlfriend's mm-hmm. mother's rent. And they was in the crib at 14, 15, smashing on the regular, sleeping in. Like, I was, I was in awe of my friends who slept over their girlfriend's house at 14. Yeah, that shit was... See, that's unheard of. See, for me... I was still getting spankings. <laughs> me yeah. too? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was getting hit in the head with trophies yeah, I was, all that stupid shit. I think I getting spankings at 15, but like, I don't remember, like, to me, <laughs> what you just described to me, Kenny, was like, when I moved to Westchester, <laughs> I thought only white kids did stuff like that. I hear about that. No, seriously, like, I never, even because I left Brooklyn to go, I went to public school in, in Westchester because we finally moved... Mm-hmm. To a good at whatever education you're paying all these taxes so Marinick Larchmont area and like so when I moved up there like it was crazy like girls were like spin the bottle giving head at like 12 they were doing they introduced me to like 
I heard now they do lipstick games. It was crazy. Like, like, and they were just having like, sex. Like, like, if you you wear a certain lipstick and you perform oral and sex on the dude and you take a picture of this, the lipstick color and you text it. Over, I remember being in high school, Oprah did a show on the epidemic of young girls in America. Well, it was mainly white girls that were felt the need to give head, like from tw- from the age of twelve. Felt like, the need. No, those are but at 12 like you shouldn't be thinking about that I was climbing trees at 12 but that's right? also the society we live in yeah, yeah but just, like I wasn't yeah, even thinking about cool. sex at like yo honestly, think about it look, look. who's, who's the hottest who's the, on, from the entertainment level who's the hottest female artist right, right now yeah Cardi, Cardi B, B okay Nage. what's what's yo I got you could, you could pull up a, a DVD I don't know if it's real but you could pull up a video of cat well I know cats who was in this in the clubs that Cardi, Cardi B used to work, work at but she worked at bottles uh, and yeah, you know in the yeah. private part like yeah. that's a part of like that's part culture. of that like listen yeah. what happened where the young ladies these beautiful young women are constantly objectifying themselves on social media but you, you like, know, what, how does that play in sexuality you know, and me too I remember reading an article some mm. years ago about <laughs> women feeling pressure mm, she doing to like keep up with this industrial strength sex, I mean, sex um, experience mm-hmm. because these guys were you know they were constantly sourcing porn for uh, sex tips versus <laughs> yeah, sex tips. I mean I'm not trying to say that you know what I'm saying, but yeah. it's like you know. So the girlfriends felt it was like a need. It's like y'all gotta know that men are savages naturally, and like. But what's provoking? But I'm saying, Shabby, but, <laughs> but, but what's, what's provoking? I mean, because then, then why do all these girls show their titties and ass and like they have a they have a thousand followers? Some all dudes like, oh my god, like listen. I mean, yeah. why is the same response not? Why is the response not the same for a guy who's flashing his his ding ding? Oh, no, oh, I don't man. know. Oh, I'm not. I'm I don't not. People do that. Like, I yeah, they're, they're guys. The game did it. There's guys that show like safari or whatever. Show, like, 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 safari, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, in, the, in the immortal like, words of Sean Price, yeah, that's an emphatic. 14, 50, emphatic 14. I mean, I always say that women can rule the world, but we're just too, we're just too precious of a gym. Well, yeah, because think about it. A woman, because men like sex. To value. And women, and and women about, like sex, too. I know women do like sex. We do like sex. What I'm saying is, like, you know, like, they always say the man cheats, the woman cheats. But Everybody cheats. Yeah, but a lot of women that sleep with married men and they know that they're married. Mm-hmm. Like, my thing is, like, if you didn't, if he came on to you and you didn't give him none, then he couldn't even cheat on his wife. Yeah, but you didn't give him. I'm not that's saying another that. episode. Married women are cheating too. I'm not <laughs> saying that women don't cheat. I'm just talking about like in the sense of like, like controlling a situation. Like many times, some of these the biggest powers in the world have sent in a woman to take down. Oh, definitely. Look, the Haitian Revolution. Exactly. The women were very into. So, well, well, how did that woman well. take 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 that man down because he was thinking? With this head and not this head. Oh no! Of and so I say the woman can rule the world because you say this head and this head. What do you mean? Just break the I mean, this he's thinking with his penis, I'm not talking, his brain. He's thinking, with, he's thinking with his penis and not his brain. But my thing is like I, I. That's why I always say women can rule the world, especially if the man is straight, mm-hmm. because they're like you can start undressing and then be distracted. Right. You know whether you're mad. You can war, finance, Like you can True. walk in wearing so I'm a, a nice. Like, 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 like,
No matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. Like I could be as upset as I want to be. Like this is World War Three in the house, right? And it's like oh. with that, like oh, oh we not fighting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's put the fight on. Yeah. Home, baby. Right. Right. I want to see more Amazonians. <laughs> and not from Afro- Jeff Bezos Amazonians. Amazonians. Yeah. I'm talking about real like Amazonians. Real Amazons. Like, yeah, yeah, I want to see more yeah, that. We can become that. like, you know, like those warriors in Wakanda. on the Me Too movement like I'm with it but I'm like I think there's a lot of work that needs to be yeah, done it has to be work because yeah. I it, feel like a lot of I think people are using be a net, not a because mark. I think a lot of people are using the Me Too movement as a way to pay back people that did them wrong that mm-hmm. really didn't do anything to them and yeah. that's gonna hurt the people that are who really are being no there's real real and, and, and I'm not horrible like, sexually yeah, assault, I mean, I have, messed up cases I have friends and, and family members that have been abused sexually Me Too on a lot of different in relationships out of relationships as kids and I just feel like you're throwing you're ruining chances for those and you know what's missing from the me too movement and it's already in our cycle of what what this is I I was me too Mm -hmm. as a woman as a child yeah but a lot of men are me too too today we talk about the women and the perception of men being but that's not I don't say that to say that's my equivalent to yo all black all lives matter that's not what I'm saying no 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 I know I'm just saying that the nuances to sexual assault are very very deep and they're big and they're broad and they they should time should be taken the problem is is the boob tube Mm -hmm. and social media and attention is carving out the narrative, and I think that's yeah. And but I think also too, a lot of men that have had sexual 
you know, assaults on them just don't want to come forward. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the, 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 I don't want to say the stigma, but it's the perception no, it's just, of, it's, of, of, of masculinity. No, it is. It's, and sexual content. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, that, that I think that plays But a lot of these things happen when, uh, when you, when men, the men were boys like yeah. you're boy, like you're a child like you're not an adult like and black men need to develop their own sense of masculinity outside of european masculinity yeah, i agree i agree and i think that also to our community needs to like seek help when they need it, need it not yeah. be not be not, not be because ashamed. honestly like if i could afford therapy i would go because you would so yeah because it's nice to talk to somebody that you don't know that mm. you're not related to that you could just like if you're having a bad day you could just like like I remember, I used, I used to have bad days, and if I go running and just listen to some music, I would de-stress. Right, right, right. Or if I take a yoga class, therapy is. I feel like therapy should be mandatory for everybody. I've been, I've been because therapy is nice. Like I think it's good. Therapy, do you think therapy help has helped me absolutely see? Because you need to have an objective perspective of yourself mm-hmm. from yeah, outside I, that's why I need and you need somebody who <laughs> who doesn't need you yeah to Boy. tell you about yourself what's up yeah but you know what my problem with therapy is what <clears throat> a lot of times water they they uh you know a lot of stuff that you you're hearing and you're really parsing out as there in therapy is really things that you already know already yeah, but sometimes it's like reading a good book. A lot of we got to distinguish books that we think are good from books that we actually learn from. And sometimes those books that we actually think are book are good are those books that we have projecting connection with, yeah. a connection mm-hmm. as opposed to like you know I don't I don't know like I I, I agree with the therapy thing I I definitely you know look you got to do whatever you got to do because you know people have demons people have anger issues people have emotional issues mm-hmm. like all all kinds kinds of issues but i think we should also be working on creating a community and environment and a family yeah, where that's coming out on a natural when people aren't feeling guarded but mm-hmm. you know that takes time though. i mean that's a, you know, i mean like yo i mean and i know we we well over time but i mean like yo you th- you think about it i mean like keith and i built kenny and i mm-hmm. built phil and i you know, i mean that's a you got to be coming with a significant amount of openness yeah. to say, like, listen, I'm ready to be kind of healed, healed and shined up a bit. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of motherfuckers ain't really coming with that kind of vulnerability. Yeah. So you know, I think, I think that that. It's those are the times that we're living in. It's like hard to be vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. That was kind of an offbeat podcast, but it was kind of cool. Yo, it was cool because we was fucking um, on some on some uh, what, you, what you call stream of consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it that's was. important. Yeah. Cool. So next time we will talk about some other things. <laughs> and hopefully we'll talk. Motherfuckers might not get no trim tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Peace. <laughs> 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 <laughs>